Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. I'm kind of excited to be back, guys. I feel like this summertime, it gets crazy, and as I'm sure you felt, right? And I haven't been doing my weekly um, episodes, and so I'm excited to get back into it. I I love the podcast. I love having a, a larger, well, if you followed me for a while, you know I'm wordy. It's really hard for me to do, I feel like, uh, Instagram posts and other short form, I, it's hard to give topics uh, the appropriate amount of context and time that they need. I've been thinking about this a lot. So I don't know if you guys know this or not. I know most of you guys know that I have an app that has optimized training programs for fat loss, for um, hypertrophy, muscle and strength, all of that good stuff. But I also do consultations as well. So I'm not taking on any new clients right now. And sometimes people feel like they don't need a coach per se. They just need some general guidance. So uh, this past week, I was I was on a consultation call and I'm talking through some, some topics with this woman and she's awesome. Just loved her, appreciated our time together. But it was, it just reiterated the fact that context matters. Um, she was telling me about some podcasts that she was listening to by some great people, honestly, but they were missing context. So she's like, well, supersets are bad for people with perimenopause. And I'm like, what? Like that, that was a red flag to me. Bad for who? And what kind of supersets? Right? So context matters. There were a few other things that she mentioned going to failure. Can't go to failure if, if you're perimenopause or menopause. I'm like, what? Wait, what? You can't go to failure? Wait, what kind of failure? Because those things matter. So this amazing woman walks away from a well-intentioned podcast thinking, oh, I can't do supersets anymore and I can't go to failure without any context of how that may or may not apply to her. Now, believe me, I understand that we can't talk about all of those sorts of things. But from what I understood, none of those were being addressed. Otherwise, she wouldn't have walked away with such a a black and white approach to uh, training. So we had a great conversation previous to that. Here's just another tidbit. Previous to that, she had heard on another podcast, well, Perry and, you know, menopause, you can't. Uh, carbs are your enemy. And so no, like don't have a lot of carbs. So she had gone into a fat loss phase, really, really cut down her carbs. And she had reached out to me on Instagram and was talking to me about some of that. And she's like, well, because carbs are bad for hormones. I'm like, wait, what? That's kind of a big blanket statement that we're making. One that makes me worry. Another thing too was which hormones and I, and I do believe I asked her at that point, which hormones? Because thyroid, they're going to love them. They're going to love them carbs. And also what kind of carbs are we talking about here? Right? So context matters. Um, so I'm going to talk about something today. I'm really excited to talk about. And I'm going to try to bring as much context as I possibly can into this so that you can make the best decisions that apply the most to you, right? We are going to be talking about the minimum effective dose. Now, the minimum effective dose of a lot of things, okay? We're going to be talking about the minimum effective dose 
of steps of cardio, of protein, and of training and training within the context of hypertrophy and uh, strength. So muscle gains and strength. Okay, so let's just dive on into this. I'm going to leave training for the last part because that is probably the most complex. I want to talk about this for a few reasons. The minimum effective dose. Let me explain what that means, what I mean by that. I want to talk about this because I want to help people combat the all or nothing mindset. I also want to help those people who may not enjoy the level of fitness that I enjoy, right? I'm like, give me all them protein, right? Like if, if my body, if I could just be on steroids so that I could train and recover seven days a week, I would be all for that because that's what steroids do. It helps you recover faster. So I would love that because I love training, but I can't do that because I'm not. And so I need to make sure that certain things I can only train, you know, four or five times a week and make sure I'm sleeping and eating enough to maximize my recovery and not overtraining. Right? I've got to think about all those things. But there are a lot of people who listen to me who are not the enthusiasts that I am. Or maybe you are, but there you are entering a time in your life for one reason or another where you don't have the time you had before and you just lack time. So you can't be going to the gym four or five times a week. You can't be doing cardio every single day. Maybe you don't enjoy as much protein as I do. Because I do, man, I can hit 160, 170 grams of protein easily. In fact, I have to like pull back on it because I, I, I love high protein food so much. And a big and, I have this skill set because I have built it over time to get high protein with low calories too. And that takes skill, knowledge, time to implement all that. I also want to speak about the minimum effective dose because there are just, this kind of goes hand in hand with that all or nothing mindset. There are too many people who feel guilty in their head or they feel like they have to get a certain amount of protein, lifting, steps, cardio, or they literally feel guilty. They have kind of an uh, unhealthy relationship maybe with food and fitness. Or maybe they have just been sold some wild expectations of what they quote unquote have to do to see the dial move. So that's why I really want to talk about this today. And I hope it's very beneficial for you all. I'm going to first begin with protein. And we're going to talk about this as far as minimal amounts. And we're going to talk about the context of each one. So the minimum amount that a sedentary, non-lifting, working out person needs is 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. 
Now, kilogram is very important because I have a lot of y'all who are in the United States. We just, we're weird. Why do we do things weird and differently? Like why? Ugh, I don't know. I feel your pain. I weigh about 127 pounds. So in kilograms, I'm 57, that's 57 kilograms, okay? So y'all in the United States, you need to be thinking about that, that conversion. So don't hear 0.8 grams per pound. It's kilograms. And I'm going to be sharing kilograms and all that because most of the research in the world goes by that. So, But 0.8 for me, if I was completely sedentary, that's like 45 grams of protein. So that's the minimum that somebody who's completely sedentary doesn't move very much, you know, um, less than 5,000 steps a day, doesn't do cardio, doesn't lift. That's what they're going to need. Let's move on to endurance athletes like runners. There's our, there, there's our a little bit lower. Theirs is going to be 1.2 grams kilogram. Now, higher endurance or higher training volumes for those runners they're going to be higher. They're going to be 1.4 grams per kilogram. Okay. Now for fat loss, when you are in a fat loss phase, you better be lifting weights. And we'll talk about how much you need to be doing here in a minute, but you better be lifting weights. And I say that not because of just my undying love and devotion and sort of religion to weightlifting, but is actually because we want to maintain as much muscle mass as possible in a caloric deficit, in an energy deficit, because we want to be the healthiest versions of ourselves, right? We want to be able to eat more when we get back up to maintenance. Post-dieting phase, we post-fat loss phase, we want to be able to eat more. And that will come through having more muscle. Another thing that is closely tied to how much muscle mass you have is your thyroid health. We want, we want to maximize thyroid health. A calorie deficit will lower T3 levels. T3 is the thyroid hormone that's most directly tied to your metabolism. You want a higher metabolism post-fat loss phase, preserve as much muscle mass as possible because T3 is tied directly uh, to our muscle mass. So we really do want to preserve that. So if we are in a fat loss phase, we're trying to maintain muscle. So this is somebody who's in a calorie deficit. You also want to be weightlifting as well. Um, It is going to be in your best interest to have a minimum amount of 1.6 grams per kilogram. So once again, for me, who's 57, that's 50, 57 uh, kilograms. So that would be 57 times 1.6. My minimum amount of protein that I should be hitting a day would be 91 grams. For me, that's not hard to hit. Actually, for me, that would be hard to stay that low just because of my lifestyle, my habits and routines and skill set that I've already mentioned, right? But for those of you who are really struggling because you have a coach that gave you 140 grams of protein and you're like, I can't do that. What's the minimum effective dose for you? 1.6. Now we're going to move on to those of you who are doing more of a body recomp. You are trying to lose 
body fat and you are trying to gain, you will have the highest amount of protein needs because you need it for fat loss. You also need for muscle growth. You will have the highest needs. And all of these are studies, studies based. These are not Lindsay picked these numbers out of the air base. We have so much information on protein, so many studies done on them as far as fat loss, as far, far as endurance athletes, as far as weightlifting, hypertrophy, strength, all of these. We have so much. And so these are the guidelines that I've landed on from all of those that we have. So your needs are going to be 2.2 grams per kilogram. So for me, 57 times 2.2, that's the minimum. That's going to be about 125, 125 grams averaging a day. Now, a question that I often get is people are like, well, what if I don't track one day or it's a weekend and I don't track Friday, but I'm back at it Saturday and I accidentally go under because I probably, you know, are in a habit of under eating protein. That's not going to kill you guys one day under, two days a little under, that's not going to kill you. Because remember, as with majority of things in life, we're looking at consistency over time is what will help us out the most, not an obsession, but consistency over time. Okay. Let's say you are in a uh, build and your goal is to maximize muscle growth. The minimum effective dose for you of protein will be 1.6 grams per kilogram. And this is one I was really glad that I talked about on, I'm, I'm moving on to peri post and postmenopause. I was really glad that I talked about what I was recording today because somebody said, can you please speak to our needs too? Can you please speak to those that are peri post menopause? and what we need as far as protein. Now, this was a number that I got from Dr. Stacy Sims, who if you are peri-post-menopause and you really want to learn more, she is going to be your biggest resource. Um, she has studied this and has the most knowledge, in my personal opinion. Um, her recommendation for those of you who fall in this category and keep in mind the context is we want to maintain as much muscle mass as possible as we go through these and even build hopefully you know if you're coming out this late in the game uh, you can still build muscle and it is going to help so much with hormonal health and as you go through these these hard changes in your body her recommendation guys the minimum is 2.2. So once again, just to give you reference, I'm 57 gram, uh, kilograms. My weight is. So times 2.2, that's going to be 125 for me. And I weigh about 127 pounds. So um, I, I'm glad that I talked about this. Somebody asked, can you also speak to our needs too? So that's what she recommends. As we get older, we actually do have a harder time breaking proteins down, which is why we typically need a little bit more as we age. So those are the minimum effective dose for protein. Let's move on to minimum effective dose for steps. 
this is a hot topic lately. I've been seeing a lot of people talk about steps in regards to there's nothing magical about about that 10,000 steps like guideline that's oftentimes given. And I, I, actually, I will agree with that one. Now, I don't think that we should encourage people to necessarily walk less. Most people need to be encouraged to get a, to more, to get more steps in, but you can argue that that past eight, 8,000 steps, we may not get a ton of added benefit. So if you're stressing out about hitting 10,000 steps or 12,000 steps or 15 or 17, because your coach told you that you need to need to hit that number. And that's really stressing you out. You know, for me, the minimum effective dose is actually closer to 8,000. You could say 7.5 really around 8,000 steps. The reason why I chose this number, if you listen to my podcast episode on steps, it, it is because we have some great research showing that around 8,000 steps, our appetite actually gets regulated. So let me explain by that. Like It appears that if we get lower, we have less movement than that. Because once again, this isn't about steps. It's just measuring overall movement throughout the day. It appears that as we get less movement, our hunger increases and is significantly kind of out of sync with calories in and out. So if I can quote something from one of the studies, it says below the sedentary zone, a decrease of activity is not followed by a decrease of food intake, but actually the contrary. We have an increase. So it appears that that comes from an increase of hunger signaling. And body weight is also increased in that zone, obviously, because if you're eating more, then you are going eating more than your body needs for that maintenance, you are going to gain weight. So I would say for steps, the minimum effective dose. So when I'm saying minimum effective dose here, what I'm meaning is that it looks like around 8,000 steps is when we see the most benefits. One from regulation of appetite, two, uh, that was the number that uh, studies often hit as far as reduced mortality rates go. So that, I would say, is what we want to shoot for. Now, I don't want you to stress out and freak out if you're already hitting lower amounts. So if you're hitting really, really high amounts and you're stressed, you're going to be okay lowering that a little bit, right? Um, Now with that lowering, that will lower energy out. So maybe you'll eat a little bit less, but that may be okay because maybe you're now finding a lifestyle for both energy, energy in and energy out that's more sustainable for you. Now, if you're on the other end though, and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm landing 3000 steps below that. That's really stressful for me to now have to increase by 3000. Let's just, let's just calm down. Take a step back. You don't have to increase by 3000 tomorrow or the next day. You can just make a very small adjustment to get a little bit more. And that's good enough for tomorrow. 
Okay. I think people with the all or nothing mindset, I think that that should be your motto. One of the ways to overcome that all or nothing mindset, have a motto for yourself of that's good enough for today. For today, that's good enough. I can get in a hundred extra steps today than I normally do. And you know what? That's good enough for today. Because this desire to instantly increase by 3,000 steps is going to overwhelm you and actually set you back. So you go back into that, oh, never mind, can't do anything, might as well do nothing. Or I can't do everything, might as well do nothing, right? That idea, it's just hurting you. So let me make this a little bit more manageable. About 10 minutes of walking equates to about a thousand more steps. So if you can wake up, just walk around your house for 10 minutes, something you normally wouldn't do, walk around your yard, walk around your neighborhood. You don't even, at 10 minutes, man, you don't even need to change into your, you know, running shoes or anything. You could literally wake up and in your slippers, just be walking around the house, going up and down steps, or maybe a break at work. You could literally just take 10 minutes, walk up and down walk. Somebody told me, I pretend that I, that I forgot something in my car. I'm always like, Oh, forgot something in my car. Be right back. She goes, I walk 10 minutes to my car and back. And it's my extra thousand steps. That one made me chuckle. (laughs) Okay guys. So that's what, that's the minimum effective dose for steps. Let's move on to cardio. This one is a little bit more interesting. I want you to understand something about cardio. I don't necessarily use it for quote unquote fat loss. I use a calorie deficit to really drive the fat loss. I use cardio though. I use uh, weightlifting to maintain muscle during a fat loss phase. And I use cardio really for the positive adaptations that we can get from cardio. But cardio, our body adapts to pretty quickly. It can adapt to these things, get those adaptations in two to three weeks, any I was reading anywhere between two to four weeks, depending on the individual. So we can adapt to get these adaptations that we want. And then you can actually cycle through cardio, something that people don't realize that you can do. So you could do cardio for three, four weeks, and then cycle off, don't do it for another three to four weeks, and then go back in. It just depends on why you're doing it and what adaptations that you're trying to get. But when I talk about cardio, cardio is actually a pretty broad conversation because just like lifting weights is actually a pretty like nuanced subject, so is cardio. It's like, what are you trying to accomplish? How are you going about it? Context matters. People think, well, if I run, then I'm getting certain benefits. Not, not necessarily. You know, there's the whole study of, of like heart rates and zones, cardio zones, because different zones bring about different adaptations. The same exact thing applies to weightlifting. Oftentimes people think, oh, well, if I touch a weight, then that's weightlifting. If I go into a class that has some sort of weight, no matter what what it weighs, that is weightlifting. Yes, true. But what kind of adaptations are you trying to get from that weightlifting? Because that class with two and a half pounds to somebody who has is stronger, that I can't go to a class, lift two and a half pounds or 10 pounds or 15 or 20 pounds, or, you know, depending on what muscle group, maybe a hundred pounds 
and get hypertrophy. So context matters, right? So in cardio, I'm actually going to speak specifically towards zone two. The reason why is because that's where I actually believe we have, we get the most benefits overall. So let me break down why. And actually why zone two, zone two is about 70 to 80% of your max heart rate. Zone two, I think is overlooked so much because it isn't as hardcore. You're not dying at the end. You're not laying on the floor like, oh, somebody snap a a picture of me right now. I look pretty hardcore. I killed myself. We can't really post zone two on Instagram and get like the wow factor. Nobody's like wowing over the fact that you did it because it's relatively low intensity. But in my opinion, it actually holds for what we get the most value to majority of individuals. So let me go over the benefits of zone two. And that's why I'm including it as a minimal effective dose. And we'll talk about how often you can do it a week to get that minimum effective dose here in a minute. But the benefits are one, I'm going to go through a list of them. One, increases in the number and efficiency of mitochondria in your body, meaning mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Your body can get better at making and using energy. can also help with burning fat. So you can have some also some positive effects on insulin resistance. And it has been shown to help spot reduce a certain type of body fat that generally is around your organs in your midsection, visceral body fat. So we can get a little bit more spotting of body fat. I hesitate even bringing that up. If I say, you know, spot reduce, that's, that's really not a thing because majority of the body fat within our body is subcutaneous. Okay. And we're not going to spot reduce that with any sort of cardio. That's going to be more of in just an overall energy deficit state. So don't get confused on that. Now we can see improvements in cardiovascular health in this zone too. So leads to a happy heart and efficient, you know, pumping of blood throughout the body. So it can help with delivering nutrients and oxygen to the body. It can also help improve work capacity. What I mean by that, this is for those strength athletes. This is for or weightlifters. It can help you recover faster between sets in this zone too. It also aids recovery and can be often referred to as active recovery because it doesn't put as much stress on the body. So it doesn't require uh, recovery. So how to find out that you are in zone two, that 70 to 80% of your max heart rate. One, you could, there, there is this estimate based off of age. And what that is, is you take 220 minus your age. But that method isn't all that accurate. But but do you know what? It can give you a general idea. And you can start from there and see how you feel. I That's a great place to start. Now, another method that's a little bit more accurate um, of a heart rate test can be this. So you start running on a treadmill or a bike, start doing cardio, start running, and you increase your speed every two minutes until you can't sustain that pace any longer. 
And more than likely that heart rate in that moment is your maximum heart rate. There are other more intricate ways of doing it, but I don't want to encourage you guys spending tons of money and time devoted to finding out this heart rate because because I think the most important thing is you get in an about and and you stay there, right? If maybe you're questioning if the accuracy of it, it's it's a range anyways, 70 to 80%, maybe just lean towards 80%, lean towards the higher one, right? Now, as far as the minimum dose goes for this, um, there is, I can't, for, I can't remember his name. I feel horrible, but there was uh, a leading researcher on this saying that the minimum dose he believes is 120 minutes a week. Now that can greatly vary per person in my opinion, but basically you could introduce three times 40 minute sessions for a few weeks to bring about this, uh, these adaptations, or you could do two times 60. Now, once again, that is very specific for those adaptations. But in my opinion, zone two is probably the most beneficial overall when introducing cardio. I'm not speaking to runners. I'm just speaking to general population groups, those people who want to increase their health and get the dial moving in that general direction. You could do a three times a week or two times a week and honestly see how you feel. Is your lung capacity better? After, I mean, you don't have to jump to, in my opinion, 120 minutes. I honestly think you could start out with two times 40 minute sessions and see how that feels. Are you now walking up the stairs without huffing and puffing? Are you recovering faster in between sets in your training? Meaning is your heart rate dropping faster? So those will be indications of you getting those adaptations. Citing studies is always hard because they're talking about averages. And there are people who are on both sides of that U-curve. That So we have to take into account that a blanket statement of 120, we, you know, I, I still actually think that that's a little too much, but I think we can start out with two times a week for 30, 40 minutes and see how you feel. See if your lung capacity is doing better, if you're recovering between sets. Now let's dive in to something that I just really, really love. That's going to be training. And and I want to talk about this too, because well, I, I get this question so much. How many days a week do I have to lift in order to see results? Um, and I would actually say that once again, it depends on the person. A newbie lifter could go in and do one time a week and make gains in muscle and strength. Now, after a few months of doing that, it's not going to lead towards the same amount and they are going to have to increase to two times a week. And the reason why they would have to increase is because the load demands are going to increase. Most things work with newbies. When people who haven't been lifting, going in one time a week for the first two months is sufficient. So don't think that if you haven't been to the gym forever, or if you've never really started any weightlifting plan, don't think that you have to go in and kill yourself with jumping to some six time a week plan. 
Now, a four to five time a week plan, you're probably going to see a little faster results. But I'm once again talking here about minimum effective dose. And for a newbie, that's going to be one time a week. For a trained lifter, minimum is going to be two times a week. So let's go through this. When we're talking about muscle and strength, some of the most important factors are training frequency and volume. Now, there's a lot of nuance to this, okay? So please understand that as I'm talking about this, I'm going to try to just lay out the basics. But what we are really seeing, the more and more research comes out, is that as long as volume is matched or total volume, which means SEPs, sets times reps times loads. And yes, there are so many reasons why that's not a perfect gauge of volume, but that's what we're going to use for this context. As long as that load is matched, that total volume, it doesn't matter if we train one time a week or three times a week. But, but, but with that being said, some training intensity will actually, they've noticed, begins to drop after six sets. So going in and doing 10 sets of squats, because you want that volume, you want to maximize your glute gains. Now, keep in mind 10 sets of just squats. You're going to notice that your intensity levels start to plummet, right? That's usually why I don't do anything more than five is because I can bring my all to five. But then after that, the intensity starts diminishing, which is typically why if I do two Uh, glute exercises. Let's just say we're doing it for glutes. I may choose to do five sets of squats and then squats are overloading in a lengthened position at the bottom. And that's going to really drain you because you're loading your spine, you're loading and getting that stretch in the glutes and in the quads. That's going to really tax you. That's a lot being worked in that one exercise. So if I find after five sets that I still need some more volume on my glutes, then I will actually switch over to something that's going to work my glutes in a little bit more short contracted position, like a kickback or a glute bridge. The reason why is because it doesn't require as much and you can keep the intensity levels higher by doing that. So I'll be able to give a lot in the squat. Then I can move over and give a lot. Finishing up with three sets, I can give a lot in that hip thrust or glute bridge. Because even a hip thrust isn't going to require as much lengthening. Or I should say it's not going to get as much lengthening in those glutes. That's just some information for you. As after a certain point, your intensity level is going to go down. And also with hypertrophy, you know, we're going to be resting two to three minutes. And that's a lot of time in the gym if you're doing full body and you're trying to hit everything with that rest period. That's going to be really, really hard, which is actually brings us to another topic of supersets. So supersets are can be a great tool for you if you want to cut back time in the gym. Now, oftentimes when I say supersets, women instantly think, oh, it's two exercises back to back with no rest. And that's not true. Like I will do a superset. This is just an example. I'll do like a leg press and I'll rest for 60 seconds. 
And then I'll go over and do a shoulder press and rest for 60 seconds because me doing a shoulder press is not going to influence after, you know, a 60 second rest influence my leg press and vice versa. It's probably not going to, as long as my conditioning is good. Now, if my conditioning, like we were just barely talking about cardio, if my conditioning is poor, like if I do that to my husband, his conditioning is pretty poor. I would probably have to rest, give him longer rest periods during that superset. Or I would choose maybe a smaller muscle group, like a leg press with a 75 second rest to a tricep press down. I do something like that. But supersets, there are so many ways we can manipulate them. And when it comes to spending less time in the gym, supersets are going to be your best friend, really, especially when we're trying to do full body work. So you can do, as a newbie, a one-day full body. And as you become more trained after a few months, you're going to want to move that to two days. And that's going to be the minimum effective dose. As a more trained individual, two is going to be minimum full days. But depending on the person, they may find Ooh, I can't do that. Maybe my minimum effective dose is going to be three times a week. And maybe I do half body. I do two half body and then a full. And that way I can get the appropriate amount of volume of work for a trained individual less than like eight sets per muscle is too, tends to be shown in the, in the literature as too low of stimulus to get more muscle growth. Okay. So that's not going to be good. We're going to really want, you know, 10 or excuse me, eight and above. And depending on the individual, I mean, we've seen some studies that are showing really good results, 15 to 28 sets on a muscle. So at that point for somebody, the minimum effective dose instead of being two times would be three. Because remember, you can only give so much, you only have so much time. And if you need higher volume amounts, then maybe for that person, it's going to be three times a week. I would say I fall under that, that that's probably going to be more of the minimum for me to continue to put on muscle, even though that's, in my opinion, going to be suboptimal for me, that's going to be the minimum effective dose. For me to maintain, we're probably looking at two times a week. So just to give you a little bit more context. Also rep ranges, you'll probably want to stay lower between like eight to 12 rep ranges. And the reason why I say that is because um, although we are seeing that we can see muscle growth with higher rep ranges of 12 to, you know, 20, because of the limited time available, we should lean towards the heavier loads and the six to 12 reps instead. So that way we can lower the set time. So I'm just going to finish up by kind of giving you an example day. Like how does this all come together? So let's say Susan has been training. She really enjoys four to five times a week, but life hits she wants to make sure she's still moving the dial forward. She knows that she needs to cut down her time in the gym. 
She also understands, because she's a logical and reasonable person, that as she cuts down time in the gym, hitting full body may require, you know, longer training sessions. Maybe they're going to be 60 to 75 minutes, those full body. But she knows she can only go to the gym like twice a week. She also is logical and knows, okay, before I was training four times a week, my body responds well to maybe the 15 to 20, you know, set range as far as far as volume amounts goes. And obviously there's a lot of nuance with that, but I'm just using that as a basic reference. She knows her body responds really well to that. She understands that she's not going to see these huge, massive growth, but what, remember what she's trying to do. She's trying to maintain while slowly putting, pushing the dial forward. That's what she's trying to do because she understands that this part of her life is just, she can't give what she was giving before, but that doesn't mean that progress stops over the next two years. It just means what can I do to keep moving forward? Maybe it's at just a little bit slower rate. And so she pulls back and she starts training two times a week and she decides two full body is what she's going to do. So she's going to choose exercises because exercise selection is going to be very important in this. She's going to choose a little bit more multi-joint exercises like a squat, something that's going to um, work, you know, the, the glutes and the quads at the same time. So she can hit two muscle groups at the same time there. Or maybe she hates squats and so she chooses like a leg press where she can still work quads and more of a mid-range and glutes in a lengthened, right? So that's what she's going to do. She's going to choose a lot of those and she is going to choose more bilateral. So she's not going to necessarily choose working just one side of her body at the time at a time. She's going to be working both just to reduce the amount of time and be more effective with her time in the gym. She's also going to lean towards exercises that are overloading things in the lengthened position. So more of the short position work, like a leg extension is you working your quads in a short position. A kickback is working glutes in a more shortened position. A concentration curl, that's going to be working the biceps in a short position. She's going to scratch all short position and she's going to mainly work in lengthened because we're seeing more and more research showing that we can actually get a little bit more hypertrophy and we're also hitting more distal and uh, proximal portions of the like areas of the muscle with more lengthened work too. So that's what she's going to choose. She's going to choose lengthened, lengthened. And maybe she's going to start integrating a little bit more doing like partial integrated partials is what I call them. So if she's doing a squat, for example, or a leg press, for example, she's going to squat down to the bottom in that lengthened position. Then she's going to do a fourth rep there and then go up. So we're integrating a little bit more targeted lengthened work. Okay. Because we're trying to get the biggest bang for our buck in the shortest amount of time. So that's going to be awesome for, you know, if she's doing a squat that's balanced It's going to be hitting both quad and glutes in a lengthened position. That's going to be awesome for her. 
And then with a little bit more partial lengthened work, it's going to be great. She's also going to do some supersets so that she can cut down on time. So let's say she's going to do a squat and then she is going to superset that with a preacher bicep curl because a preacher biceps curl is going to work the biceps in what? A more lengthened position. And maybe she's going to do integrated partials with that too. So she does squats, rests for 60 seconds, does integrated partials with bicep, uh, the preacher bicep curls, pause for 60, rest for 60 seconds, then go back to the squats. So that's what a full body day is going to be looking like is more exercise selection and lengthened paired with supersets. So this is just an example day. I put this up on Instagram the other day when I posted about this. So you guys can check out that post. But this is an example day. She'll go in and do A1, A2. That means a superset with efficient, a long enough break for both of those. She's going to do squats for A1. And then for A2, she's going to do shoulder press. Then for B1, she'll do something like lunges. And she's going to do B2, the preacher biceps curl. Then she's going to do C1 and C2. She's going to do upper back pull down. And C2 is going to be overhead tricep extension. So overhead tricep extension works the triceps in a lengthened position. Maybe do some integrated partials with with that. That'd be awesome. Then she's going to do a rear delt row because you're going to, it's typically not just rear delts. You get a lot of, a little bit more upper back involved too. So once again, we're getting a little bit more upper back. And then a hand height lateral raise. So uh, with pulleys, that's working things more in the lengthened position. So that's just showing you an example of what her full body day would look like. Maybe add a little uh, a, a chest press with, um, you know, another tricep move to kind of fill in any of those gaps. But but also you'll want to pick and choose the muscles that are the most important for you to build. If you want a little bit more volume to those a little bit more growth to those, put in a little bit more volume. If you don't care about them as much, you can pull back on the volume and just do minimal amounts just to maintain the muscle that you already have there. So hopefully this um, episode today has been really helpful going over a minimum effective dose. What that would look like overall for somebody is maybe a woman who weighs 100 and 37 pounds, she's only needing to get, you know, a hundred grams of protein. And she only is getting about 8,000 steps and she's including her cardio in those steps. And maybe she's doing two, uh, 40 minute, you know, cardio sessions and two full day, full body lifts a week. And that's really what overall, you know, the minimal work that she's putting in. That way she's still prioritizing her health, still pushing the dial forward without that all or nothing mindset. It has to consume my life. Doesn't have to consume your life. And remember, you can cycle through the cardio. I don't do cardio all the time. I bring it in when I notice that, I'm walking up the stairs and I'm huffing and puffing or my heart rate isn't dropping 
as much or as fast in between sets. Um, I actually think that that's a huge opportunity for most lifters to grow in is getting more cardio in because I have people reach out to me all the time saying, I really want to do more volume of work towards legs, but you know, rest periods are four minutes and I'm just not recovering as well in between either days or sets. I feel like I do eight reps and my, you know, I can barely breathe. My heart feels like it's going to burst. Yeah. Those are all huge signs that you need some adaptations from that zone to cardio, bring it on in for a few weeks, and then you can let go of it for a few weeks and then bring it in again. So that's usually how I do it. I cycle through cardio and we won't talk about it today, but there's actually ways that we can do it with weights too. If you really don't enjoy cardio, cardio, like I don't, then I'll do systemic work and you can do that type of cardio work with weights too, that metabolic work. Um, that way you are also enjoying your workouts. This is, oh, I did want to touch on one other thing before I end this episode. This is usually when people are like, oh, this is when I would do a combo move. I'll do combo moves to lower time. So instead of a superset of leg press, rest, then do a press, then rest, I'll just do a combo move and I'll do a squat into a leg press. So that wouldn't be as efficient as you think. And the reason why is if your goal is muscle and strength, that's going to be a poor choice. Because what I can do as far as squatting is almost triple, if not more, what I can do as far as pressing. Does that make sense? So then something will suffer. Either you load your legs sufficiently and then you cannot even do a press. So then your upper body suffers. Or you do minimum load on your legs legs and they don't get the stimulus they need, but your shoulders do because your shoulders, you're matching the strength of your shoulder to the dumbbell. So we don't want to actually do combo moves for, they really don't have any place for hypertrophy or strength. That's just for people who just love doing combo moves. When we are doing and trying to maximize our time with hypertrophy and strength, we need to appropriately match the weight to the muscle. And a lot of combo moves, people can't do that. For example, bicep curl to press. I can press way more 40s. I can't do bicep curls with 40s. So I was really excited when I was hitting like 25 with bicep curls. So I, but yet pressing at 25 is like too light for me. I need more. So that's why for hypertrophy and strength, those, those type of combo moves really are not going to be beneficial. So when you are looking at trying to make your own program or even get a program for somebody else, you need to make sure that the person you're purchasing the program from like actually does know what hypertrophy is and the best ways to get there. 
That's literally why I created my app is because I noticed all of these programmings for women were just like filled with the worst type of sensation-based moves, combo moves that, and these were women saying hypertrophy, muscle, strength, and, and yet the very exercises they were choosing were suboptimal for the individuals. So that's why I started writing programs for the masses because I noticed that those people who were, were just using what I felt like was really suboptimal approaches. When women who are peri and menopausal, like they don't need those combo moves. Women who are really trying to focus on building their glutes, building their delts or whatever for muscle and strength, they don't need those combo moves. Those are not helping them reach their goals. They're totally suboptimal. They work for somebody who's freakishly genetically blessed and already has the muscle. But for those who don't have the muscle or are trying to maintain as much as possible as they go through hormonal changes, their form of lifting is going to look more like strength and hypertrophy. So that's why I said, even for those that are peri postmenopausal, your training should look more like hypertrophy training to maximize your ability to put on or to maintain muscle as you go through this next stage of your life, because it is different, right? It is. Whether we like to believe it or not, it is different. And those likewise who are in body recomp, who are trying to maximize muscle gains while losing body fat at the same time, hypertrophy, hypertrophy training, progressive overload training, that is what you need. You don't need those combo moves. Okay. You want something that's very specific to hypertrophy. So hopefully that this episode has helped you guys out today. I really do love hearing your feedback, getting your questions. So if you have any message me on Instagram, follow me there, lifting Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate and love each one of you. You guys have a wonderful week. 